Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter number 27. It's 1144. And uh, now it's 1145. 1145. And we will be done by 3 o'clock, I promise. Yeah, but I, I'm aware of the time. And um, we've done some important things this morning. And I want to get to the message right away. Remain seated. Genesis chapter 27. Rather than read the text together, I'll read it in the introduction of the message. I want to speak to you from Genesis 27 verse 12 on this subject this morning. The God, little g, God, the God of reputation. The God of reputation. You can make a false God out of a lot of things. A lot of people's God is money. Uh, You can make a, a, a person a God. Anything you put above the Lord can become a God. A false God. And I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of God of reputation. Heavenly Father, please fill me with your Holy Spirit, with your power. I need you. I want to be a help to your people. I want to be a blessing to your people, and I can't do it without you. Help me, please, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're in Genesis chapter 27. Follow along with me as I read the story, which will be the text of the message. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see... He called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold now, I am old, and know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, and thy bow, and go out to the field, and take me some venison, and make me savory meat, such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord, before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. And I want to stop right there in the story and sort of uh, summarize it uh, to make sure you understand the context of what will be our text verse here in just a moment. Uh, Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. And there have been, if you will, a rivalry between these two boys just about their entire life. They're 40 years of age in this story. And uh, dad is, uh, is, is aged, but and dad thinks he's on his deathbed. Dad's going to live for many years uh, uh, after this, Isaac's going uh, to live for many. He's going to live all the way to 140. And, uh, 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 and so, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, here he is. And, and these two boys, Jacob and Esau, uh, Jacob and Esau, uh, this rivalry goes on between them. And uh, mom favors Jacob. Dad favors Esau. Esau liked the things that dad liked, and Jacob, I guess, liked some things that mom liked. Jacob liked to cook, for example. And, and uh, Esau uh, was an outdoorsman. And Rebecca always seemed to be uh, trying to get her son ahead, her favorite son ahead, which is certainly not healthy, but that's what she did. And in this story, uh, uh, she uh, connives and influences her son to deceive his father. 
And, um, and so we find here that in verse number, uh, 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 verse number six, uh, she tells her son, she says, son, uh, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. So here, here, uh, she says, uh, uh, son, I, there's a, there's an opportunity here. Your dad is getting ready to give a blessing to your brother. And I want that blessing for you. And so she influences him to deceive dad, her husband. And here's what she said. She said, He's going, your brother's going out to get some venison. He's going to come back and cook it because your dad likes that. But we're going to take two of the goats and you can cook, we'll cook, and you can get the blessing. You can go in. Dad's eyesight is poor. And, uh, and, uh, and verse number 10 says, uh, here's what she told uh, Jacob. She said, Thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father, peradventure, or perhaps, will fill me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver. And I shall not bring a curse upon me, and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. So mama says, son, let's get some goats and let's make uh, uh, some stew for your dad. And you can take it to him on his deathbed. His eyesight's not good. And you can go in there and you say, dad, I did what you asked me to do. I got the venison. I cooked up some venison stew for you. And here you go. Here's your favorite meal. And, uh, And then he'll pray over you and you'll get the blessing. Instead of your brother. And here is what Jacob says. Listen carefully what Jacob says. He says, Mama, Mama, you know I'm, uh, my brother, he's hairy. My brother's hairy. He's got hair all over himself. But I don't. How in the world? If I go in there and he says, uh, come here, son. And if he touches me, uh, uh, he's going to know it's not me. He's going to know it's, it's, it, that, 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 it's, uh, that it's not Esau, that it's not my brother. And here's what he says. Now look at it. In verse 12, my father, peradventure, that's kind of like what we, we might say perhaps, will fill me and I shall seem to him as a deceiver. And I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. Now, his mother had a solution. Said, well, we're going to take some of the goat here. We're going to put it back in your hands, put it on your neck and so forth. So if your dad does fill you, then, then, then we'll, we'll be able to deceive him and he'll think you're the brother Esau. So she had a solution to that. But here's what I want you to notice, is that Jacob's response in verse number 12 was not, Mom, if I do this, I'll be, my, I'll be deceiving my own father. His response was, if I do this, I'll seem to my father to be a deceiver. You see, he wasn't concerned about lying. He was concerned about somebody thinking he was a liar. Let me help you. It's much better to have somebody think you're a liar than it is to be a liar. It's much better to be honest, even if someone criticizes you, calls you a liar, and you're not a liar. It's much more important to be honest than it is to seem honest. When a person becomes more concerned with their reputation than their character, they have made reputation a God in their lives. 
They have exalted a reputation beyond what it ought to be. And, and, and that was Jacob's problem. Jacob was more concerned about what folks had to think about him than he was who he was and what his character was. We find this same weakness in Samuel, in Saul's life. King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter number 15 uh, uh, had sinned against God and he was under the judgment of God and the man of God came to tell him so. He had partially obeyed and partial, uh, partial obedience is disobedience. And in 1 Samuel chapter number 15, uh, Samuel is up in front of the people after a battle and he, 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 he obeyed incompletely. He left of the best of the cattle. He's supposed to destroy the entire nation. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, the Amalekites, and he kept Agag the king as a prize, so to speak, of war, and the best of the sheep and oxen and so forth. And God had told him to destroy the entire nation, and he disobeyed. And now Samuel comes, a man of God, and calls him out on it. And Saul, in front of the people, here he is. It'd be sort of like, uh, it'd be sort of like, uh, 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 it'd be sort of like uh, 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 your pastor, for example. It'd be sort of like your pastor getting rebuked by an elder man of God in this pulpit and flat platform in front of everybody else. That'd be a little hard to take. And, uh, and certainly I would never need that because, you know, I've never made any mistakes. But anyway, uh, that was funny. Uh, anyway, but that's what it'd be like. It'd be like, uh, it'd be like, so here's Saul in his position of authority and, and, and here comes the man of God and the man of God publicly calls him out and what he wants to do is he wants to maintain his public image. And so, so uh, 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 Samuel, and by the way, he's defensive from the very beginning because the man of God comes walking up and, and King Saul says, ah, I did what God told me to do. I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. The word of the Lord, I've, I've obeyed. Samuel, and Samuel did, I'm reading between the lines, Samuel said, nobody asked you. You know, when you, begin, when you and I begin to defend ourselves and nobody's even questioned us, that's a telltale sign that we have some guilt, Right? Yeah, and so here he's defending himself, and, and just about the time he defends himself, uh, God sends an angel, dispatches an angel from heaven, and pinches a, 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 an oxen, and pinches a sheep, and the sheep goes, Mah! and the ox goes, and the man goes, hmm, you obeyed, huh? What's the bleeding of uh, the sheep and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And then he starts falling over himself, tripping over himself, saying, oh, well, you know that, you know how the people are, the people wanted that, I didn't want to be the people. He starts blaming other people. But here's the thing. Instead of humbling himself and saying, you know what, Sam, you know what, Sam, you're right. I was wrong. I was wrong. I disobeyed. And I need God's forgiveness. Instead, what he wanted to do, he was about to want to sacrifice. He wanted to worship the Lord in front of all of his people. Here he is in public view. Here's the man of God. And he says, let's worship. Turn and worship. And Samuel says, you're not on worshiping ground. I'm not going to worship with you. You're not, you need to get right. You don't need to worship right now. You need to get right. And let me tell you something. No amount of worship will make, will, will, will cover up unconfessed sin in our lives. God is not glorified by our praise when we harbor unconfessed sin in our lives. That's like you telling your kid, son, take the trash out. Mama, you're the best mama in all the world. I just love you. I lift my hands to heaven for you, Mama. You're the greatest. Son, take the garbage out. Oh, Mother, I will later. But right now, I just want to. I just want to sing your praises. Son, take the. Let me tell you something. Mom's not going to be impressed. Mom wants obedience. You understand this? And God said to obey. God says in this passage, to obey is better than sacrifice. 
God wanted obedience from, 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 from King Saul, and Saul still didn't want to obey. He wanted to give the, he wanted to give the impression, he wanted to sacrifice publicly, he wanted to give the impression that he was in harmony with God, and in harmony with God's men, when the truth was he wasn't right with God, and he wasn't right with the men of God. And instead of bowing his head and getting things right, instead he said, "No, let's 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 put our let's put our spiritual face on and let's worship in front of everybody." And in fact, he says to Samuel, he "said Worship with me." And Samuel said, "I'm not having anything to do with it." And Samuel, come here, give me Samuel for just a moment. And um, sorry, we don't have any nothing better. But anyway, you pretend to be a man of God. Uh, no, but he's going to be Samuel. And Saul's like, worship with me, worship with me. And Samuel says, I'm not going to worship with you. And he turns and Saul grabs his coat. (laughs) Grabs his coat. He tears his coat. He grabs his coat. He lost his temper. He says, get back. Don't you leave me up here. Don't you make a fool out of me. That's what he's saying. That's what he's doing. His, His character's coming out. And Saul, Samuel turns around. The Bible said in verse 27, Samuel turned about to go away. He laid hold upon the skirt or the hem of his mantle and it rent. And Samuel said in him, the Lord hath rent the king of Israel from this day. And just like he, t- he literally tore, tore his garment. And when it tore, he turned around and said, and that's what God has done today. He's tearing the kingdom out of your hands. He's, he's dethroning you. Now listen to this. He says in verse 30, then then he said, I've said this is Saul now. I have sinned. I have sinned. Come back up here. <laughs> so here's Samuel with the torn garment. And here's Saul. Everybody's watching this. Can you imagine people going? And he said, I have sinned, right? Look, I did wrong. Yet, watch this, honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. You know what he's still trying to do? Maintain his image. Everybody's watching him. He says, look, 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 listen. I'm sorry about your coat and everything. But, man, all the people are here. Just, just worship with me. And the Bible said, so Samuel turned again after Saul. And Saul, didn't say Saul and Samuel, said Saul worshipped the Lord. Thank you, you can be seated. You know what Saul was concerned about? Saul was more concerned with his reputation than he was with being right with God. And when you and I get to a place in our lives, we're more concerned with what folks think of us than what we actually are. What our reputation is rather than our character. We have made our reputation our God. When appearances mean more to us than character, then reputation is our God. Turn to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. The Lord, He... he he exposes the Pharisees and their hypocrisy in this passage. He is teaching. And he exposes in his teaching those to whom reputation is a God. He says in chapter 6 of Matthew, verse number 1, he mentions three areas in the Christian life. He mentions giving, and one particular type of giving was alms, which is giving to the poor or giving to the needs of others, individual needs of others. And then he talks about fasting and prayer. Those three heirs of the Christian line. And here's what he says in verse 1. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Notice that phrase, to be seen of them. 
Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as, thy, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may have glory of men. There it is. See that phrase? He said, look, if you're going to find somebody that has a need, and say Calvin needs a, a new pair of shoes, and he certainly does. Uh, but anyway, if Calvin needs a new pair of shoes, and I come to realize that, and say, hey, folks, I just uh, uh, have your attention, please, Calvin. Out of the goodness of my heart, I want to give you a pair of shoes. God said, you have, got, you have your reward. But they don't expect a reward in heaven. If you're going to do something, if you're going to bless somebody in some way, keep your mouth shut about it. He said, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Don't go around talking about it. Uh, 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 just, just do it. If God puts it on your heart to do something good for somebody, just do it. Amen? And you don't have to say anything about it. It's not for show. It's not to be seen of men. It's not so somebody can pat me on the back and say, what a, you know, what a good person I am. No, uh, uh, alms is a meet, if you want to meet a need in someone, it's not meet the need. Amen. And by the way, if you're going to do that, don't disparage the rest of, uh, of God's people because they didn't think of it your, their set, uh, before you. Once in a while, God's people, they do something for somebody else and almost do it with an attitude, well, nobody else is going to do it, so I'll do it. That's arrogant as well, sir. That's arrogant as well, ma'am. Listen, listen, if you're going to do something for somebody, if you're going to bless somebody, and by the way, this happens all the time in our church. People bless each other. I have no clue about it. And I'll hear about it. And I'll hear about this. I'll hear about that. And I, nothing encourages your pastor's heart any more than to know you pray for each other, visit each other, encourage each other, help each other. And that blesses my soul. Amen. And it blesses God's heart as well. But we don't do it for show, of course. And then, and then he talks about the area of, of prayer. He said, uh, he said uh, verse number five, when thou prayest. Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. And then he goes on to say, if you're going to pray, go in your closet, shut the door and pray. And the God who hears in secret will reward thee openly. He goes down in, in, uh, in uh, the subject of fasting, down verse number 16. He said, moreover, when you fast. And fasting, by the way, if you don't know, fasting is, is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. For a, for a portion of time, for a meal, for a day, maybe many days. There's examples of that in the Bible where you choose, I'm not going to eat. God's the Holy Spirit is leading me not to eat, but to pray instead. And, and that's what fasting is. It's, it's a refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. I have a f- spiritual need greater than my need for food today. And I need to get a hold of God. I've got an unsaved loved one. I've got a sickness in the family. I've got something. I need answers from God. And that's where fasting comes into Christian life. It's a way of life for, for a sincere Christian. And the Bible said in verse 16, When ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men. To fast. Look at it. God said this. If you're going to, if you're exercising any spiritual discipline, you don't do it for recognition. Let me tell you something. God's people ought not let their bottom lip dragged around for any reason. Amen. Listen. Uh, if I could get, if I could get all, if I could get all the, the down in the mouth folks and just come around, walk around this building, just walk around the building, amen, then we would never have to vacuum again, we'd never have to mop the floors, amen, just let their lip go around and just pick up all the garbage. Listen, hey, God's, listen, if, if, if God is leisure to a season of fasting, the Bible says you wash your face, you go out, you put a smile on your face. Sometimes people, God's people walk around there and, and, and they stand there gloomy and just waiting. Glance up once in a while, see if somebody's making eye contact. And God forbid you say, how are you doing? <laughs> go back to 1938, find out what's wrong. Listen, listen. 
Yes, there's going to be times. Yes, we're, we're, we're season of fasting. Yes, we're weak physically. And, 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 and I'm not saying that, that you, you, you're, you're trying to hide it. Uh, but it's not, of, you're not doing it to be seen. This is the point. When, when, we, when we wear our Christianity out here where everybody can see, God said, listen, you, okay, okay, you, bled, you gave something, you did something, you made some sacrifice, you wear it out here where everybody can see, that's your reward. Enjoy the recognition because that's the sum total of your reward. You forfeited the heavenly reward because you wanted the applause, you wanted the recognition, you wanted the sympathy of man. And God said, listen, listen, real Christianity is closet Christianity. When our reputation, when, when, when what men think of us is more important than uh, what we actually are, we are making a God out of our reputation. Someone said this, character, reputation is what men think we are. Character is what God knows us to be. And let me tell you something, what we are and what God knows us to be is 10,000 times more important than what others think of us. When reputation is our God, we actually convince ourselves that we are something we are not. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1 and verse number 22 uh, that when we know to do good and we don't do it, then we deceive our own selves. We deceive our own selves. That passage tells us, uh, uses this phrase, if any seem to be religious among you. If any seem to be religious. That's what uh, Jacob said. Jacob said, I'll seem to be a deceiver. Let me tell you something, brother. What we are is more important than what we seem to be. Amen. And, and, and if we will take care of the character, if we will take care of doing right, if we will take care of, of a living a principled life of integrity, then guess what? God can defend our good name. When a public performance is more important to us than the private reputation, excuse me, than the private preparation, the reputation is our God. Let me say it again. When public performance is more important to us than private preparation, then reputation is our God. Let me start with myself. A pastor who becomes embarrassed over broken sheep in his congregation that have gone astray is in danger of making reputation as God. If a pastor becomes embarrassed over fallen sinners in his congregation, he's in danger of making reputation as God. You know what they call They criticize Jesus for this. You know what they call him? A friend of sinners. Amen. Let me tell you something. Listen, you know what you and I ought to be known for? You and I ought to be known for mercy. You and I ought to be known for grace. You and I ought to be known for lifting the fallen. You and I ought to be known for helping those who struggle, those who, who stumble. And, and that, that if, if you get criticized as being a friend, now I'm not talking about hanging out. I'm not talking about have a, having a brewski with the boys. I'm not talking about casual social time. No, the Bible says, come out from among the be a separate, saith the Lord. But what I'm talking about is not being ashamed to come alongside someone who's struggling and say, hey man, I love you. I'm for you. I'm praying for you. I'm not looking down my nose. I'm not gossiping. I'm not, I'm not retweeting. I'm not typing about you on the computer. I'm praying for you. And I'm trying to help you maintain your dignity. I'm trying to help you. The Bible says love covereth a multitude of sins. Love doesn't advertise other people's sins. Love rushes belong, beside the fallen one and tries to help them and tries to encourage them. 
parents, when we're embarrassed, more embarrassed about our kids' behavior in public than we are concerned about teaching them and training them in private, could it be that reputation has become a God to us? Did you hear what I said? Parents, when we become more concerned or embarrassed about our kids' public behavior than we are concerned about going... Listen, I, I, I wouldn't suggest you whip a kid up in public and, and, and make a big show. But if, some, if you see something in public, uh, we, we're living in different times. We're li- How many of you remember the day when your public school teacher took a paddle to you? Look at it. We're not weird. We're just the same as we used to be right here. Amen? We believe some of the same things. But you're living a day in time. That's, I, people are nuts. We, we, years ago, we had a gospel track. We made a gospel track. And we took one of the little, little, little kids in the church and got the ladies with bright red lipstick and put smooches on the kid. The cute little baby. Smooch marks on the kid. You know? And, and, and it was a gospel track. Inviting folks to church and it had the plan of salvation on. And on the front of the track, it says, You've never been so loved. And it's a little kid with smooch marks all over. One of our soul winners knocked on the door and saying, we're from Baylor's Grove Baptist Church. We'd like to invite you to our church and hand the track. And it was a 20-something-year-old, early 20s. Now, forgive me. This, I'm not characterizing all social workers, but this is what happened. Uh, uh, took the track and said, what is this on this child's face? And she said, it better not be bruises because I'm a social worker. Now, let, let, let me help you. If you're a 20-something, whatever you are, please remember that physiologically, I'm talking about physically, your brain does not finish developing until you're 25 years of age. Help me. Now, I, 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 we, we, we're, we're living in a day and time where appearances have become a God. Where image has become something that is worshipped. An Australian model by the name of Asina had 500,000 Instagram followers. She was becoming wealthy from endorsements. But in 2015, she quit altogether. Deleted most of her pictures. Revised uh, her, her profile. And the descriptions, the false descriptions, in, in an effort to unmask the true motives behind the images, which was strategically sponsored props, clothing, hat, mug, etc. Here's what this 19-year-old Australian model said. My online life was hollow, fake, and self-centered. Over-sexualization, perfect food photos, perfect travel vlogs. It's how I got famous. It was a downward spiral of social comparing, and it consumed me. I spent ages 12 to 16 wishing I was someone else. Then age 16 to 19, constantly molding myself, editing and self-promoting the best parts of my life, which turned into a massive career based on numbers and how I looked. I no longer want to compare my life with anyone else's edited highlights. 
I want to put all of those hours I looked into a screen into my real life goals and personal relationships. Now, there's a bright idea. I'm over this celebrity culture and obsession. It's silly, and for the most part, it, part it's lonely and fake. Asina admitted that she had mindlessly offered up her body for public admiration in order to be told she was beautiful, which is exactly what much of social media teaches us. To mold ourselves in order to gain validation, that was my life. But I've taken myself out of the sculpting studio. I don't want to look to others for how I should live and speak. I was living between conditional self-love and constant self-hate based on social approval. I felt trapped in a cycle that became more empty, lonely, hateful, jealous, and insecure. You know what? I don't know where that dear lady stands with the Lord. I hope she's not saved. I hope she gets saved. Amen. But she discovered something. She discovered how exhausting it is to try to maintain an image. Listen to me, young people, listen to me, listen to me. Let me tell you what's more important. Did you read your Bible? Did you pray? Did you make your bed? Did you do your homework? That's 10,000 times more important than how many people put a thumbs up to you this week. It's 10,000 times more important than did you get a like. Did, did somebody say, oh, I like you. By the way, let me just serve notice right here. What are you married men doing putting a thumbs up to somebody else's wife? And what are you ladies, what are you married ladies putting a like on some married man's picture? What are you, what are you thinking about? Get your head out of the sand. Somebody help me now. It's lonely up here. Hey, listen to me. We need to return to some decency. And I, listen, I know uh, uh, that, uh, that, that, that the technology is a powerful tool that can be used for good and it can be used for righteousness. And thank God the gospel is going in places that it couldn't go otherwise because of the technology. And I rejoice in that. But listen to me. You beware of getting caught up in this society that exalts image, that exalts a look. Listen, you make sure there's some integrity in that heart of yours. Listen, anything you would not say to someone face-to-face in conversation, you should never say on a computer or on your phone. Never. We become concerned with how we look to a point we've worshipped an image. I said, number one, when appearance means more than character, reputation has become our God. I said, number two, when reputation is our God, we actually convince ourselves we are something that we are not. <laughs> I think I can tell this. We took a group of kids to, uh, uh, to, 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 kids to, to go skiing. This is years ago. And Brother Hamilton, always, he always gives the same speech, you know, uh, about snowboarding versus skiing. And he says, now kids, if you've never been on the snow before, you start with skis, okay? Start with skis, and then you snowboard. And one of the boys, I think he was 15 years old or something, he said, oh, I said, I'm going to snowboard. Brother Hamilton said, uh, now, and he wasn't the most coordinated kid in the world. Anyway, he said, now, I think you probably, why don't you try skis first, and then you can snowboard. He said, no, 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 I'm great. I'm a good snowboarder. He said, have you snowboarded before? He goes, yeah, I snowboard all the time. And, and he said, you mean you've actually, you, you, you snowboarded? He goes, yeah, I snowboard all the time. He snowboarded on, yeah. He said, I, snow, I have a snowboard video game. I play it all the time. <laughs> Literally, the kid had himself convinced that he could snowboard because he could snowboard in, in, a, in a virtual, 
on a, on a game. Virtually he could. And he, he I'll never forget, I, was, I, I came down the mountain twice. By my second time down the mountain, we were there less than an hour. He was sitting on the ground, pouting. He spent the rest of the day drinking hot chocolate in the lodge because he didn't listen to his youth pastor. He literally convinced himself that he could do something that he could not. Now, let me tell you something. What you are is more important than what you think of yourself or what anybody else thinks about you. What God knows about us, that's what matters. We need, number four, to build our character more than defend our reputation. We need to build our character more than defend our reputation. Job 23.10, he said, He knoweth the way that I take. In Job 27, verses 5 and 6, God forbid that I should justify you. He's talking to his critics. Till I die, I will not remove my integrity from me. My righteousness, I hold fast. He said, I'm going to do the right thing, critics. Reputation is not unimportant. But who I am is 10,000 times more important than what I appear to be. Reputation is not unimportant. But who I am is 10,000 times more than what I appear to be. Now let me say this. The flip side of this is you become careless with your reputation. The Bible said a good name is rather to be chosen than silver or gold. It's greater than riches. You ought not be careless with your good name. That's why you ought to be careful online. That's why you'll be careful with your core. And that's why you, that's why you ought to be careful with, uh, with, with uh, uh, your name and where you are. And make sure you're not in, a, in a, a place or a position where in a compromising place, a compromised position. Uh, uh, you ought to be careful with that. Listen, your reputation doesn't matter. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. And don't be careless with your reputation. Don't say, listen, don't say something. I teach our staff this. Don't you write anything negative on the computer. If you have something negative that needs to be said, you say it face to face. Because it's amazing how much courage you have when you're hid behind a, a, a computer screen. And you look somebody in the eye and all of a sudden... Yeah, yeah. Hey, let, let me tell you something. Hey, your reputation does matter. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but what you are is 10,000 times more important than your reputation. God, if you'll be what you ought to be, God can and will defend your reputation. I thought of the story, Brother Roloff, Lester Roloff. So many years ago, one of the great heroes of the faith, still you can hear him over the uh, airwaves today, and you ought to listen to him, by the way. But he was... Uh, he was uh, uh, charged by the state of Texas for refusal to take a license. He said, I'm not going to take a license. This home, these homes for broken people are a ministry of our church, and the state can't license a church, and that's absolutely true. The state can't license a church. I'm not. I'm going to do what, I'm going to continue the ministries that we have all these years, and we're going to do what God's taught us to do. And the state of Texas says, you have to take a license from us. He said, no, sir, if I take a license from you, then you can withdraw my license, and you didn't, you're not the one to put me in this business, and you're not going to be the one to take me out of this business. This is a ministry of our church. We minister to broken people. And it went, uh, it went to battle. And they, they, uh, 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 Lester Rolf went to court. Lester Rolf was jailed. He was jailed for this. But it went to court. Now listen carefully. In that trial, the prosecuting attorney laid out their case. And day after day, Les Rolf going to that courtroom, kind, gentle. All kind of things were said about him. All kind of things were said about him. Kind, gentle, man of God. Well, a fearless man of God, but a gracious man of God. They went through that trial, and that trial was over. One of the attorneys from the prosecuting team walked across that aisle 
said, sir, I don't understand you. He said, all that we put you through these months. And he said, you were always kind to us. And I watched you, you'd, I don't understand you. He said, well, let me tell you why. And he told him about the presence of God. He told him about his Savior. And Lestrola got to lead to faith in Jesus Christ, one of the attorneys that attacked him. You know what you call that? You call that Christianity. <laughs> you call that Christianity. I won't use his name because we're live streaming. The man stood in this pulpit several times. It takes the Bibles that you give, that you, you, you give to have completed in, in the countries, in the closed countries around this world. Told us his stories. He's been, he's been captured many times, been tortured more than a few times. On one particular occasion, he'd been, he'd been captured and put in jail for his, for his faith in Christ and refusing to quit preaching and spreading the gospel and carrying Bibles. And a man sat at the desk and, and took a bullet out and put it right in front of his duct tape to a chair, put a bullet right in front of him. He said, you know what your life is worth? The price of one bullet. That's what your life is worth. And that dear brother continued to show the love of Christ, kept his testimony through mistreatment, through torture, through false imprisonment, until that same man eventually came to him and said, I don't understand you. All the terrible things we've done to you, why are you still kind to us? He said, let me tell you. And he told him about Christ and led his captor to Christ. Can I tell you something, my dear friend? You and I, with the presence of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We ought to live like Christians no matter what the circumstances of our life are. If we're under attack, if we're being criticized, we're being lied about. This is some of the best people I know in this room right here have had folks uh, vilify them and revive. The Bible word is the word revile. To treat vilely, to treat with contempt, and say garbage and filth about them. But you know what I watched them do? I watched them go on with the grace of God and keep loving people and keep investing in people and keep being a witness for Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know, those of you that are under the sound of my voice right here this morning, God sees what you're going through and God knows. And listen, you just continue to be what God wants you to be and what you ought to be and let God Almighty take care of your reputation and your good name. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 24, the Bible says, When they reviled the Lord, when they spoke with contempt and disdain and reproach, He reviled, not again. Last thought. If you do fail in your character, Christian friend, if you do stumble, and if you do fall, seek not to rebuild your reputation. Simply seek to be right with. And the, the mistake that many a person, many a just, just, just simply means justified, that someone is born again. Born again people do stumble and fall. How many of you have me say, Preacher, I'm saved, and, uh, and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I've gotten out of the will of God before, say amen. amen. Yeah, yeah, all across the room different. If you came to a place looking for perfect people, you came to the wrong place. <laughs> We're sinners saved by grace, Amen. Listen to me, if the day comes and you find yourself like Peter, who cursed and swore and denied the Lord Jesus, 
If you find yourself uh, like Job uh, in a pity party, questioning God's uh, uh, wisdom and love. If you find yourself like Abraham out of the will of God, father a child out of wedlock. If you find yourself like David did and others in the Bible who stumbled and fell. When you get to that place, don't you worry about getting your title back. Don't you worry about getting your position back. Don't you worry about getting your reputation back. You worry about being right with God. You worry about tears uh, streaming down your face and falling on the pages of the book as you read it. Because your heart is burning in sweet fellowship with God. You worry about getting your prayer life on fire again. You worry about giving out gospel tracts. You worry about being a witness for Jesus Christ. You get yourself right with God. And let God take care of your position. Let God take care of your reputation. The Bible said this, Humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. He didn't tell us when. He said when the time's right. When the time's right. Let me tell you something, my dear friend. This morning, there's a God in heaven. Now, he knows everything about us. He knows who we really are. He's very patient. He's very merciful. God knows who we are. My friend, what we ought to be concerned about is the condition of our heart, not the condition of our reputation. Would you bow your heads, please? Your heads are bowed.